0: Hebrews chapter four. If you want to turn there, Hebrews chapter four, and we we have a lot to cover this morning, and and this is uh, uh, somewhat of a complex and confusing text, and so I, I want to just pray, and then we're just going to get right after it this morning. Okay, so uh, pray with me, just a, just a simple short prayer. Just pray pray this with me, Father. I just ask that you would give us clarity. I, I think, Lord uh, that you would. I thank you, Lord, that you are listening and and that uh, you, you want to give us clarity, you want to give us understanding. I pray that you would just shine the light of your spirit and the light of your word on our minds and help us to see and understand. And more than that, God, I pray that you'd help us to change the way we, we live and operate in our lives based on what you show us from your word today. We just thank you for what you're going to do. I believe you're going to do great things in us, and we pray it in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, the last few weeks, we've been looking at this picture that God has given us in the book of Hebrews of Israel being led out of Egypt, and uh, they were led right up to the banks of the, of the land that God had promised them, them, and it was a land that was going to make them very, very wealthy, and it was going to make them very, very powerful, and, and He brought them right up to the land, and, and after destroying the most powerful army on on earth, which, by the way, he destroyed the army of Egypt, the most powerful army on earth, and it was a very easy thing for him to do. It was not like he broke a sweat. It was simple. It was, it was an easy thing for him to do. But he takes Israel right up to the edge of the promised land, and he says to them, okay, go in there and take the land. And they said, well, let's send some spies out first. So they sent spies over, 12 of them. And the 12 spies came back, and 10 of them said... Um, the people over there are really tall, so we shouldn't do this. And, and that was, honestly, that was really how the story reads. You, they complained about their height. They were worried about their height. They said, we're like grasshoppers to them. They're so big. They're so tall. And, uh, and, but God, you know, very lovingly says, uh, you remember not too long ago when I destroyed the entire Egyptian army? Do you remember the whole parting of the Red Sea thing? I think I, I, I think I got this. I think I can handle six foot five. You can trust me on this. But they didn't want to go in. And so the Lord, in reply, just said, okay, fine. And they wandered around the desert for 40 years until that entire generation died out. And then their kids got to go into the rest, into the promised land. So now out of this text in Hebrews that we're going to read in a moment, God is, is taking the story and he's laying it on top of our lives. And he's, he's saying there are some similarities and there are some dangers of which you should be aware. And so we talked about the, this imitation from God into rest, to come into rest, to come into his house. And now follow me. If you remember, the house of God is not a building. It's not made of bricks and mortar and concrete and shingles and electrical wiring and all of those kind of things. The house of God is a people. And God has invited us into the rest that we find in his house. And, and the way I tried to paint a picture for us, if you remember, it was I tried to paint a picture of uh, in my home because there's this spot on the sofa that is just home for me. That when I get home, that's the place I wanna sit. That's where I feel comfortable. That's where I, I, I'm safe. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to be anybody but me. I am known, I am loved, weaknesses and strengths. All of me is known. And I'm safe there. And this is the invitation that goes out from God. Come be healed. Come find wholeness. Come find rest for the weight that that sits upon your soul. And then last week we talked about being obedient so that your heart doesn't become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Now this week we're going to continue with the idea that Jesus has invited you into healing and wholeness and restoration and, and salvation. Jesus shows up in the first century and in Matthew 11, he says, those of you, all of you who are are heavy laden, those of you who are burdened, those of you who are weighed down, come and find rest in me. And when he shows up on the scene and says this, we need to understand this. This is not the first time that this has been said. In fact, what we're about to read in Hebrews 4 is is really an extremely wordy, complex historical list of how often God has tried to communicate to you and to me that he longs for us to find wholeness and to find healing. The, the message of all, the, uh, 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 all of those of you who are heavy laden, those of you who are burdened, those of you who are overwhelmed, come into your soul's home and come find rest for your soul. That message has been painted on the canvas of creation over and over and over and over and over again. And what I want to do, is just as briefly as I can, I, I, I want to sketch out the history of how God has tried to communicate this to mankind. And then I want to go back and, and put meat on it and talk about what it means for us. Okay, so that's our agenda for this morning. Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Uh, there, he's going to mention, give to us five points in history that are mentioned here. Verse, verse number one, read it together with me. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should, have, uh, should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to, to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall, shall not enter my rest." although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. So, see, this is a very wordy text, and and honestly, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Verse 4 is our first historic moment where God communicates rest. Verse 4, for he has somewhere spoken, which is kind of funny to me because Paul knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. And he says, well, somewhere, I've read somewhere that that this was said, but for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. So after creating everything in six days on the seventh day of everything, God begins to communicate this idea of rest. And wholeness. He begins to communicate this idea of salvation. So, so God gets after it and he creates and creates and creates and creates and finally he stops and rests. Now I want you to think about this because we, we often read it and don't think through what we're thinking about. But it, it is really, really odd that God is resting because God never gets tired. Have you ever thought about that? God creates, creates, creates for six days. Then on the seventh day, suddenly he rests. But, but God has never in all of, uh, all of the recorded history, never in, in all throughout all eternity, God has never had to go, whew, that one really did me in. That's just not happened. He's never had to grab his basketball shorts and fight to get air in his lungs because he was exhausted. He has never, ever needed to rest. So what's happening here when it says that he rested on the seventh day is that he is communicating something here. He's painting a picture here for us to see. He's communicating through his actions. He's weaving into the fabric of the universe how things really are. So literally from day seven, God is saying there is a rest for you. There's a place where all of the weight and toil and hurt of this world can be removed. There is rest for you. Day seven, day seven, Adam is, is 24 hours old. And God says to him, there's rest and, and rem, rem, remind you, this is the fall of man hasn't even occurred yet. This is before any sin has entered into the world. And he's saying, already saying there's rest for you. So God is communicating right out of the gate, this idea of rest. All right. Verse five is the second point of history. When God communicates this, verse 4 was at creation. Verse 5 says this. And again, in this passage, he said, "...they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience so he's again he's referencing the story of israel coming up to the edge of the promised land and not crossing over the rest was there for them but they failed to receive it because they they, they disobeyed what god told them to do and so so this is the story again and they arrive at this land the bible says was flowing with milk and honey and that means nothing to us you know we hear flowing with milk and honey and we're like i don't even know what that really means but it means it's really referring to the sweetness of life and the sustenance of life. There is this sweetness of life and there is this sustenance of life that they're going to find in the promised land. And, and that represents to us what God wants for the soul, that there is this place of healing. There is this place uh, where there's a rich, full life. There's this place of be- belonging. There's this place where there's rest for your soul. So God is painting a picture in the promised land and on the canvas of creation, communicating to us that he desires for you and for me to find wholeness and healing for our souls. He's going to keep going, verse 7. Now really, verse 7 is out of order uh, uh, chronologically, so we're going to read verse 7 and 8. We'll look at verse 8 and then come back to verse 7, so we'll do them chronologically. It says in verse 7, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So God is—he communicates in creation that he wants salvation. He communicates then in the promised land that he wants men to be saved. And the next historical event, chronologically speaking, is when Joshua actually led the people of israel into the promised land and you know the story it's really interesting moses he goes up on a mountain and and he sees the promised land but he never gets to step foot in it he dies there and the bible says that the holy spirit buried him we don't know where but but joshua now he's the new leader of israel he's been appointed by god he's the mantle has been passed and he's the new leader and he says uh, to the people of Israel, he says to the looks of the situation, you have to kind of love the humor of the story. I think when you look at it uh, in, without, uh, you know, we, we read things and we know what's going to happen. And so we don't see the, 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 the beauty and sometimes even the humor in the moment. But, but, but he's saying, OK, we're going to go over into the promised land. Now, the scriptures tell us that they had no fighting men and they had no weapons. I mean, they had been slaves for 430 years. And now they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years so you know they they haven't had a a training for an army they don't have weapons they don't have any of these things and and so joshua prays and he talks to god and he says god what should we do what what should we do and god says uh do you have a marching band (laughs) and he says okay good here's what i want you to do get all of them dressed up with a plumy hat and all, and, and have them march across the, the river and then walk around the city once a day and then seven times on the seventh day, all right? And, and I, I honestly, I cannot, here's the part I find funny. I cannot help but think that there was at least somebody in the nation of Israel when Joshua came to them and said, all right, here's the battle plan. We're gonna put the praise team, the worship team up front. They're gonna, and we're gonna march around the city one time a day. And then on the seventh day, we're going to march around seven times. And they're like waiting for the next part. And he says, that's it. That's it. I can't help but think that there's somebody in Israel saying, saying, man, I wish Moses was here. I can't help but think that, you know, this guy's going to get us killed. So Joshua then leads Israel across the river and into the promised land. But here's what I think is so significant about this. They go into the promised land. It is the promised land. It is the place that the rest that he's promised them. But there are going to be difficulties in the promised land. Nobody nobody ever thinks about that. They had to go and fight these nations. and, 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 And I mean, here's the deal. In those battles, they were losing men. You know, it's not like these big battles are occurring and the Israelites are incurring no losses. Men... We're dying, and, and so you know they're, they're going, wait a minute, and I thought this was the promised land, and God is saying it is the promised land, but, and it is your place of rest, but there's another rest, uh, there's another day of rest, there's a better day of rest coming. This is really just a picture of what's coming. And so what's happening here, I think, is this. I, I think it's a, something, a lesson for us to learn, is that God is, says to us, and this is big for us, uh, He says to us, don't worship the picture. Don't worship the shadow. Worship the one who's casting the shadow. And, and, and the promised land was just another picture on the canvas of creation. You know, and later on the, in the Jewish mind, the temple became the, the picture or the shadow that they began to worship. And we, we still struggle with it to, the, to this day. The, the promised land was not the pinnacle of the soul's rest. It was just a picture of it. And, and it's been my experience that people, the more time they spend in church often begin to worship the shadows rather than the reality behind the shadows. The church is full of shadows and pictures that show us the reality of of God and His creation. And historically, we have had a strong tendency to attach our affections to the shadow, to the picture, instead of the reality behind it. That's why we end up with churches splitting, because we're not following the same tradition that we used to follow. That's why we end up with churches splitting because they put in a different color carpeting. Because they're worshiping the building. They're worshiping the event. They're worshiping the thing that they do rather than the God who's behind all of it. You see that? That's what happens to us all the time. And so as a result, we end up with these sacred cows that become untouchable because that A, you know that's how we've always done it, or because B, the way we've done it this way has been very meaningful to me. It's, been, it's touched me emotionally, and I want to feel those emotions, and so I don't want you to change anything. But we have to remember the picture is not the important piece. The shadow is not as important as, as who's casting that shadow. So be careful. We've got to remember that cattle, even sacred cattle, were given to us by God to eat. <laughs> so don't forget that. So you have God communicating salvation and creation, You have God communicating salvation in the promised land. And then you have David. Let's go back to verse 7 again. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So so here's what's happening now. He's, He's now referencing a point in history when Israel has taken the promised land. And now, under David's rule, they are extremely wealthy. They are extremely powerful. They have an army that is powerful enough to protect them from any foe. They can deal with any situation. And God says, do do you see that wealth and power and security and safety will not remove the burden of life that weighs upon you? The soul is still not home. Home for the soul is not wealth and safety. So God communicates, even through David's power, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Now, one more period of time, verse nine. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So the last time period, it's right now, Sunday morning, Marion, Arkansas, Restoration Life Church, right now. The invitation still goes out. The invitation remains, come find rest for the soul. So God's been communicating this. Jesus shows up on the scene. This isn't a new message. This is how things are. So let's go back to verse one again and let's start filling in the blanks. That was the overview. So let's start filling in the blanks. Verse one is extremely peculiar and I'll show you why. This is what it says. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear. Now, if you have the NIV translation, uh, honestly, you have a a poor translation of that particular verse because it says, let us be careful. And there are a few other translations that say that, but the the Greek word that's used here is not careful. The the Greek words for careful and fear are nowhere near, near each other. Careful is like, careful that soup is hot. Fear is, put that down! There's two different things. I mean... Fear and careful are two completely different ideas. And I'm not saying that you should get a, a, a new Bible. I have the NIV myself. I read the NIV. Nothing wrong with it. But this particular word does not, the way they translate it, does not really carry the full weight of what this word has here. That it's not just be careful. It's, it's have fear. Be afraid. So, so he says, let us fear. Now, does, does anyone else find it peculiar that God is asking you to be, be afraid? Because we, we know that there are other places in Scripture where it says, he says, fear not. And there are other places where it says that perfect love casts out all fear. So why the command of fear all of a sudden in this context? Well, let, let's answer this question first. The first question is, what should we be afraid of? See, it starts off with the word therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, you have to ask yourself, what is the the therefore therefore? Because it's it's linking with something else. The the writer of Hebrews is drawing a conclusion. When you read that, that means that the writer has said something and now he's going to draw a conclusion based on what he previously said. So look at Hebrews 3.19. That's the verse right before verse 1 of chapter 4, and here's what we should be afraid of. Verse 19, chapter 3. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So then he turns around in verse 4:1 and says, since their unbelief brought them death in the wilderness, then we should be afraid if unbelief starts firing up in us. So if we begin to fall away, if we begin to struggle, there should be some fear in our hearts because our lives are at stake. Now, I need to bring some clarity to this because if you're not careful, you may be sitting there saying, so Pastor Dave, are you telling me that the ideal, uh, ideal Christian living that, that, uh, is, is for me to always be afraid that I'm falling away, away, away from Christ? Are you telling me ideally what Christ wants for me is to live in fear of falling away. That's not what I'm saying. The best way I I, need to, I know how to explain it to you is talking about my daughters when, when they were two years old. Back in those days, we, we lived in Reno, Nevada, and we lived on a fairly busy highway, and, and anytime time uh, my daughter began to wander or run toward the street, we always reacted very, very strongly. You know what I'm talking about. Every parent here... You know, it wasn't when Aaron started wandering toward the the highway. It was was never, oh, hey there, sweetie. Hey, you, you might not want to go that direction. Come back here, you little silly. You know, it wasn't like that, was it? It was more like, Aaron, you stop right now. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And we would sprint out. We'd sprint out to an inter- interceptor as fast as we could. And and typically, whenever we reacted to a situation like that, it scared her, and she began to cry as a very very tiny girl. And 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 I would get down right down there on a knee, and I'd look at, go look at her, and I'd say, "Look at me in my face. L- look at my face. Don't ever." ever, ever, ever run into the street. The street is very dangerous. You could be hurt if not outright killed. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I know some of you are hearing that and you're saying, man, your your kids need therapy. Well, well, better alive and in therapy than dead and not. And, And so we'd have the talk and I'd hold her and do that thing that every parent here has done where you're saying, you know, I love you. I just don't know what... Daddy wouldn't do. I don't know if I could make it if, if something happened to you. So the street is not your friend. Don't go near the street, all right? And then she'd look at me, okay, you know. Now suppose after that incident, I'm playing with a ball with her in the front of the house and somehow that ball bounces funny or the wind catches it, you know, some of those really light balls or something happens and the ball goes out into the street. If we've accomplished what we wanted to accomplish, then she's going to be very afraid to go into the street to get her ball. And that's exactly what we want. We want her to be afraid of going into the street. So I think the kind of fear we're talking about is a fear that makes you feel safe when you are where you're supposed to be. You know, it's not like my daughters, even after those moments, it was never, they, were never, uh, they were never in the yard, you know, after we had that conversation about the street being dangerous. They never, were never in our fenced-in yard there in Reno and, and, and just saying, the, the street's right there. The, the street's, what do we do? The street's right there. You know, they, they did not lie in bed at night going, I, I know the street's right outside my window. I don't know what to do. What, it's, it's right there. That's not what happened. Truth is, they were not aware of the street at all when they were playing in our friend's din yard. She was not aware of it at all. She wasn't afraid of the street until the ball was there. And then she'd go right up to it and she was tempted because she loved the ball. She was tempted to take a step in. Then all of a sudden she remembers the warning and then she's afraid. That's the kind of fear that I believe God's talking about here, is that when you're in the right place where you're in the place where you need to be with God, then then there's no reason to fear. You don't even worry about those things, but when the moment comes where you're tempted to run away, where you're tempted to go somewhere else, where you're tempted to try to find peace somewhere else, where you're tempted to do that thing that you know is not going to honor God or glorify Him, when you're tempted to run... That In that, that moment, all of a sudden, you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, I need to be afraid here because something's going on in my heart. I need to pay attention to what's happening inside of me. I need to be afraid because I might be moving in the wrong direction. That's the kind of fear that, that I'm talking about here. He, he doesn't want us to live our lives every day in fear that somehow I'm going to fall away from Him. I, I believe He wants us to walk in assurance. And we, we have the assurance that he, we're not going to, you know, people uh, get all worried about backsliding and that sort of thing. And, and I know there's some that say, well, if you're really saved, you can't backslide. And we, uh, to me, you can, get, you can get in all kinds of semantics. I, I believe that after you're genuinely, genuinely saved, you can lose your salvation. But I don't think it's an easy thing to do. I think it takes a long time. It's a lot more like Samson than anything else. You know, we when I was growing up in church, anytime you did something wrong, you know, you're like... Man, if Jesus comes right now, I'm dead meat. But I don't, I don't think necessarily that's the way it is. I think God's grace is a lot stronger than that. But what I am saying, it's like Samson. What I mean by that is Samson, you remember the story. Uh, he, he, the, the Delilah was kept, he kept trying to get him to tell her the secret to his strength. And he, he would tell her one thing that wasn't true and they would try that. And then he'd get up and kick the Philistine's tail. You know what I'm talking about? And, and then she's, she'd say, oh, you, didn't, you lied to me. And, and then he'd tell her another lie. And then the same thing happened. He jumped up and he, and he kicked the Philistine's tail. Well, all this while he's flirting with these things that are, that are exactly what God told him to stay away from. And, he's, and all the while he's flirting and flirting and flirting and playing around with these things. And, and then, and then he, as he does that, he becomes less and less aware of the presence of God. Until finally he tells the truth and he says, well, you can't cut my hair. If you cut my hair, I lose my strength. And so they cut his hair. And the Bible says, this is what happened. This was a long process to get here. It says that he jumped up and he shook himself as before. He's going to take on these Philistines. I'm going to take them down just like I did before. But it says he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. That's what we got to be afraid of. We got to be afraid of playing around so much that we lose touch with the reality of the presence of God in our lives. That's what we need to be afraid of. I want to be afraid when I'm struggling with disobedience and belief and unbelief because I know that can kill me. Look at verse two. For good news came to us just as to them. Okay, so... it's God that, that saying that, uh, that God came to Israel and he said, there's rest for your soul, there's salvation for you, there's healing for you, there's wholeness for you. And, and the same invitation that Israel received, you and, excuse me, you and I have received. But look at the next line. The next line is extremely interesting. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So he's saying the invitation for healing and wholeness and feeling went out and and they even got to see it. They stood there. They got to stand on the banks of the river. They got to look across the river. They got to see the land that God had for them. And they said, I don't believe. I don't believe that this will end well for us if we cross this river. I don't believe that, that this is good for us if we obey God in this situation. You know, and so it's about belief and faith. And, you know, there are a lot of preachers nowadays that, that talk about how we have so little faith in God. You know, they say, well, we just don't believe God for miracles or we don't think God can deliver. And, but, but you want to hear my honest assessment of the human factor in ministry? This is after, after decades of being in ministry. This is what I believe. I believe that we do not, as a general rule as Christians, we do not doubt that God can do mighty things. I think, however, we doubt that he wants to. And we doubt that he will do them in us, in me. That's where we struggle. We say, I know, I know God can do great things. Salvation and wholeness and healing. It's, it's for everybody else, but not for me. Because in my life, man, those dudes are six foot six. It's not for me. I man, I can't tell you how many people I know live their faith vicariously through someone else you know they hear these stories and, and I love to hear the stories of what God's doing in other people's lives that's always encouraging to me but you know what I want my own healing I want my I want my own freedom I want my own story I mean praise God for yours but I I want to hear yours but I but I want my own And if I want my own story then I have to step out in faith because faith moves What happened to the children of Israel? They didn't have their story in the promised land because they didn't have the faith to move across the river when God said to move. Faith says, I'll take this step because I know that he can heal. Faith says, I'll confess this dark place in my heart even though it's embarrassing because I know he can deal with it. Faith says, I need some help, so I'm going to go get some counseling. I'm going to talk with a friend. I'm, I, I cannot beat this on my own. I, I'm moving. I'm doing something. Faith says, as bleak as it looks right now, I know that he'll deliver I, when I, if I will just keep pressing on. Faith says, let's cross this river right now. Faith says, I guess the, the worship team will, will have to do get, to, to, to lead the army Faith says I can be whole. Faith says the darkness in my family tree can die with me. Okay, so so how? It's a legitimate question. Because these are very high-minded, romantic, you know, noble ideas, are they not? But how? Flip over to chapter four, verse eleven. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That's a very interesting phrase already by, by my book. Because he's talking about rest. In my mind, rest is the opposite of striving. But he says we have to strive to enter that rest. Now listen, we, we preach grace nonstop here, but sometimes we need to be reminded that, uh, that we have to balance it out with, with, with responsibility. Because a lot of people, they wave the banner of grace over their sinful lives and they don't move to be healed or made whole all under the banner of, I'm I'm all right. I mean, I I haven't entered into the Lord's rest, but I'm all right. And he's going to say, let us strive to enter that rest. Let's be diligent. Let's take some action. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of obedience. For the word of God is living and active. This is kind of almost out of nowhere. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and, and of marrow, and discerning listen, this is a scary part for us. Discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. That's kind of a scary passage. He's saying, listen, the word of God exposes what's really going on. It shows what my true intentions are. It shows what's really going on inside of my heart. And there is nothing that I can do to hide that from him. Let me tell you why this is such a scary deal. It's scary because... If you are disciplined enough, you can force the outside of your life to look pretty attractive. You can. Church, Church folk have been doing it for centuries. You can, with enough willpower, make your outside appearance look righteous. But no man can change the soul. No one can change the intention of the heart. And that is what makes Jesus' teaching so difficult. You see, we we talk about, well, I'm not under law, I'm under grace, but we we forget that under grace, Jesus' teaching it it was much more difficult than under the law. You say, What are you talking about? Well, because the law always dealt with actions, but Jesus started dealing with the heart. Jesus said things like, Oh, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But if you're lustful all, uh, uh, all the time, then you've got the same sin inside of you. You haven't solved the problem just because you haven't actually committed the act. You've heard it said, do not murder. But I say, if you hate, then you're not whole. You're not home. You're definitely in unrest. And Jesus makes it a matter of the heart, not just behavior. So what does the scripture say to do? Well, the writer of Hebrews tells us that the word of God is living and active and exposes the heart. The Word of God can do surgery on the heart. And, and and so some of you are going, oh great, oh great, this is just another read your Bible more thing. Yes, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. You know, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Michael Stipe and Chris Martin. Michael Stipe is a former lead singer of REM and Chris Martin is the lead, lead singer of Coldplay. But they released a song back in 2006 and you know, I, I like songs that have words or things that are, make, that are deep that make me think a little bit more. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of songs I hear the words repeated over and over again. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. There's nothing to this song. It's just. But anyway, there's a line in that particular song that I thought was so rich and so real. And I don't, I don't know where they are relationally with the Lord or anything like that. But, but they said a line that was so powerful. It says this, and when you showed me myself, I became someone else. And that's one of the things that happens in the light of Scripture. When you sit in the light of Scripture, it shows you who you really are. When you sit down and and you devour it, and I'm not talking about reading it like you read the newspaper. I'm talking about laying your life down on top of it and letting it read you. Some of us, we need to get past reading our Bible and let, let the Bible read us. And when you do that, when you lay your life down on top of the scripture, it's like standing in front of a soul mirror. And the thing is, you you will never, ever passionately desire and pursue Jesus until you understand and have seen your own depravity. Until you understand how dark your heart really is. And you realize that it's you that's the problem, not everybody else. Until you understand how dark you are inside, how dark your heart really is, until you understand that, you'll never know why you need Jesus so much and you'll never love Him so deeply and you'll never pursue Him the way you need to. It's only in that moment when you understand how dark your heart really is, that grace finally becomes a really powerful agent in our hearts because now we understand grace a lot more. Because now we know we needed it. The scriptures put you in in front of a spiritual mirror where you can see what is right. You can see what is good. You can see what is righteous. You can see what is life-giving. And you can see what is stealing the rest that God has promised. And you can see where your life doesn't line up. This is where he tells us to start. Now, I think there's more to that. I think there's a lot more to growing in the Lord, but this is where he tells us to start. Now, if you're in here and you're going, yeah, Dave, I hear this all the time, but the truth is I have the hardest time studying the Bible. I have the hardest time reading Scripture. I just have the hardest time even focusing. But listen, the good news is you live in the Bible Belt. There's a new Bible study starting every 4.7 seconds. You know what I'm saying? There are plenty of resources. There are so many things. You have, the, you have the, the Bible that you can get on your phone. You have reading plans. And it will even, even read the Bible to you. There are, there are Bible studies you can get involved in. There are Sunday school classes you can attend. You, you can get in, in, in connected with a connect group. You, you can join us for our Wednesday night Bible study. But, but what I'm saying is get to a place where you can let the Word of God read you and then be diligent. That's the key. A lot of us will will start strong, will say, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to get in. I'm going to get in the Word. But you've got to be diligent. There, there, there are a lot of it, 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 striving to enter His rest. And what we're talking about here doesn't mean that you're trying to memorize a bunch of facts and f- stories and all these things because the truth is there, there are probably a lot of pagans who, who would whoop me in Bible drill, you know. But we want God's Word to read us. We want to lay the word of God on top of our souls, and we want to ask ourselves an honest question. Where am I? And if our lives don't measure up, then we, we should have fear, a good, healthy fear, so we don't get run over when we're in the road. So literally from day seven, God takes his paintbrush and begins to paint this idea of salvation and rest and wholeness. And he's... He's drawn the same thing with different characters over and over and over and over and over again all throughout the scriptures. And the same invitation is extended today to you and to me. So today, let's have a good, healthy fear if we have not entered into his rest. If things aren't right between you and God, have that good, healthy fear of saying, this could kill me. This could send me to hell for eternity this could destroy my life i'm going to be afraid when i'm toying and playing with those things the good news is you don't have to live in that fear because remember that fear only exists when you're not where you need to be and you can come back to where you need to be in an instant at any moment through repentance which by the way is not just saying you're sorry Repentance means it's a change of of the way that I think that leads to a change in the way that I act. It's turning your back on it and then just going to Him and confessing. Because the Bible says in 1 John, if we confess our sin, and He's talking to Christians, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know what will happen. If we repent before God and we confess our sin, We'll be right back where we need to be in an instant, in an instant. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you for an opportunity just to get together and to talk about you and to talk about how good you are and to talk about the invitation that, that you've given to us. And, and Lord, I, I have to believe that, that there are people in here today, there are people on the live stream watching that, that don't know you or, or maybe they don't know that this thing is about a relationship with you and not about church and rules and laws, but, it, it, but it's, just, it's just some sort of intellectual knowledge or agreement on their part. And if that's you here today or if that's you watching here on the live stream I can tell you the the place that you start is simply by asking Jesus to help. and That's where to start. There's no magic thing that needs to be said. You know, this is not, see, witchcraft is about saying all the right words, some incantation. That's not what this is about. This is just about being honest and, and laying your heart open before Him. It's It's really more just, Laying your heart out and just saying, okay, Jesus, I need your help. I I need your forgiveness. If if this rest is available for me, then I want to be obedient and I want to receive it. So so I encourage you today. Maybe if you pray that prayer, maybe on your ride home today or maybe here right now, just say that quick prayer and say, I need your help, Jesus. If this is true, Lord, if this invitation is there for me, then I want it. And I want to encourage you, if you know somebody who loves Jesus very much, it's a great idea to go to that person and say, hey man, I asked Jesus to help me find his rest and I think they'll help you find the next step. But if that's you here today and you say, pastor, I want you to pray for me. I've been playing, I've been toying, I've been wandering, I've been struggling with doubt. Today I want to just make sure I get back where I need to be. I want to get back to the place where I have no fear because I know I'm where I need to be. If that's you and you're in this place, would you just slip your hand up right where you are so I can pray with you? Maybe you're online. Yes, yes. Anybody else? You can put your hand right back down. Yes. Anybody else? This message is not to bring condemnation. It's to bring us to a place where we don't have to live with condemnation. Where we don't have to live with constant fear. I want to pray for you. And now while I'm praying, you just in your own words, you just talk to God. Tell Jesus you need his help. Would you do that? He'll listen. He knows He knows what's going on in your heart. Just talk to him. Father, right now, those people who raise their hands as they're talking to you, as they're just saying, Jesus, I need, I need your help. I need some rest. I need some peace. If this is for me, then I'm turning to you and I'm asking you to, to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to Adopt me into your family. I give my life to you. I, I surrender to you. I pray, God, that right now in this very moment that they realize who they are in you and that you'd give them the peace of God that passes all understanding, that you would guard their hearts and minds with your peace, that, God, they would find rest in you even in the midst of the turmoil of life, that they would find rest in you. And Lord, I pray that they would have walk in the, in the assurance of knowing that they are children of God, that their sins have been forgiven, that they're part of the family of God. And Lord, that they would live with that assurance every day of their lives. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that even now as we prepare to, to head out. I pray, God, that you would go before us, that you would, you would have your way in us, that you would do what you want to do. Help us, Lord, to make a difference in this community. Help us to tell people about you. Help us to invite people to church. Use us, God. Make us light in the darkness. Give, make us the salt of the earth. We pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.